0: The book of Amos. To the book of Amos, it's found on page 973 in your pew Bibles. The pew Bibles have the extra large print, or if you're looking up, it might even be on the wall behind me. If you're, if let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the original. These words are written quite a few years before the time. That even Jesus walked on this earth. This is the Old Testament. This is one of the prophets. And it's one of the prophets to the northern kingdom. And it was in 722 B.C. that the northern kingdom fell. So this was before that. And uh, Amos was just a simple guy. I'll mention that in a few moments. But I want you to take notice that these are God's words. And God gave these words to the preacher man. To the prophets. And these are... His words, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when, when they shall take away you with hooks, even the last one of you with his hooks, And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into harmon, declares the Lord. So come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. And proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. And then he begins a series of five things. I have given you cleanliness cleanliness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in your places, and you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when you were three months to the harvest. I would send rain to one city and send no rain to another city. One field would have rain. The field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees and the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me declares the Lord, I sent you among a pestilence. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with sword. I carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were a brand brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore therefore thus I will do O Israel because I will do this to you prepare to meet your God O Israel for behold he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is in his thoughts who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth the Lord the God of hosts is his name that's chapter 4 what a powerful sermon But it doesn't end end there. So he says, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen will no more to rise to the virgins Israel. Forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. That which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me And live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter to Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it, not even for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness into uh, darkness, the day into night. He darkens the day into night who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth like the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone and you shall not dwell in them. You shall have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions. I know how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous. and You take bribe. You turn aside the needy. At the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord the God of hosts will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. He goes on a little further in verse 18, saying, woe to you. But verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your singing or your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this interesting sermon is now before us. I pray that the same Spirit of God that was at work when Amos first spoke it, I pray that the Spirit of God would stir us. We are, in a sense, some of the northern people of God. Oh, Lord, I pray that we will not be like them, but rather we'll learn from them as we draw near to you and benefit from the message that's given to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wow. I don't know if you've read Amos lately. It's kind of interesting. Did you notice the word grace actually is in there? The Old Testament sometimes is scary because it deals with sin, and it deals with a God that's holy. But I want you to know the gospel's there. And as we come to the Lord's table today, this is the message that he's prepared for us. I want to walk you through the book so you can follow along with me. The first point I want you to see is that God is roaring. God is roaring. Okay, the picture is that God is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is roaring. I loved it when Art Lane came to me last week after the service, and he said he used to live in Washington near the zoo. And he said when the lion first roared, he didn't quite understand what it was, but he could hear it. And then he realized, and every time he heard it, it had that same effect. The lion roaring. Now, how does God roar? Well, the first sermon in Amos that I preached about was that he used the vocal cords of a, of a little guy who was a shepherd, was, was, a, was a, a trimmer of trees. His name was Amos. He was from a little town called Tekoa, which is real close to Bethlehem. It's just in the same region. It's very similar to, to little King David when he was taking care of the sheep out in Bethlehem's fields. Little Amos was taking care of the sheep down there. He was just a common guy. And that's one of the points that the roaring of God was used by somebody that nobody would have expected. God can use you. The second moment was the sermon that was first preached. When God does roar, what happens? geographically, uh, the first chapter talks about Amos coming up to the north, and he's a southern boy. He goes up to the north, and as he preaches his sermon, it's almost like he says, oh, yeah, you know your northern neighbors over here, over here, over here. Oh, yeah, and the southern people by the coast. Oh, yeah, and the ones by the Dead Sea and the ones on the other side of the Jordan. And he lists all these other countries, and he says they're all sinners. And anybody up north would have said, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then he finishes that geographical sermon by coming in and narrowing bullseye. And you are sinners, too. It's a powerful sermon that God is not a respecter of persons just because of lineage, not because of location. If you're a sinner, God sees sin. Now, the third sermon, which is what we touched on last week, was the sermon about the roaring of God. And it gets into a little bit more specifics. It was locally. He has already done the geographical thing. Now he comes back and he says in chapter three, he says, listen, listen to the roaring. And then he gives the logic behind the roaring. And then he tells us about the loudness of that roaring. When he says, listen, he says, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the sin in your heart. He knows what's going on in your world. And it was serious. And then the logic behind it, he says, you can look at things just like one of the illustrations was a trap. He says, if a trap sprung, what what does that tell you? It says that something triggered it. And he says, the judgment of God is, is like the trap that's going closed. God says something triggered it, and it's your sin. Do you see the logic? And it was so convincing And then he comes back and he says, and you can't get away from its loudness. No matter how far you're going to go around in Israel, if you go to your summer house or your winter house, if you go to the palaces in the bigger city, wherever you go, you're going to feel its roar. Because God is God. That was the second sermon. Today is the third sermon. And the emphasis here is prepare to meet that God. From verse 8. Prepare to meet that God. The two points of the sermon are kind of simple. Uh, They're both with the same kind of wording, so follow along with me if you will. The first one, the first point, is preparing to meet your gods. Okay? Did you notice that it's plural there? So something's wrong. And did you also notice the, uh, the G would be small? You wouldn't be able to notice unless I tell you. But you see, this is the problem of the northern people of God. They have many gods. They don't have God. And they, they did their job to prepare to meet their gods. They were very active. In fact, what, is it, what do you call the word when you get involved in, in activities with little gods? Okay, you can call it pantheism. When you start to serve those gods, what's that called? You can call it cults. You can call it religion. I can call it idolatry. When you start to call it what it is, you begin to say, "Oh, that's not for me. That's not for me." Right? But the fact was, these were the people of God. They were descendants of Abraham. They were the northern kingdoms. They were really the children of Joseph, because Joseph's children, uh, Manassas and Ephraim, where they they were the leaders in the in the Syrian region. And so, when you when you ever you hear the mention of Joseph, it's because they were the ones that thought that they had one up on the rest. They were the favored sons of Israel. So it's kind of interesting that the fifth boy, Judah, is the one where the, where the temple is built and it's the southern kingdom and it's the one that's preserved. But the northern kingdom that has its em- emphasis with Joseph, who had all of his, his leadership down in Egypt, the people still felt a little bit better than the rest. And they imported some of the same kind of thinking that they had in secular Egypt. So the northern kingdom had many gods. And I want you to see that as Amos preaches his sermon, he's showing how they've been, they have been preparing to meet their little gods. So let's look at it, if you will. You're first going to be able to recognize who he's talking about when, when they come together in the, the people who do this religion. Uh, he calls them cows of Bashan, remnants of Joseph, dwellers in Samaria and in the mountain there. He's talking about... The people that should know better. Now, those of you that don't understand the cows of Bashan as he opens the sermon, what a powerful opening statement. Did you figure that out yet? Bashan was a field that was up in the Galilee region, so it was in northern Israel, and that's where the cattle would graze, and the, and the ground was lush and fertile. And guess what happened to those animals. They were the fattened ones. They were the plush ones. They were grade A. You understand what I mean? So when he talks about the cows of Bashan, he's talking about people who have prospered. Those people who are living off the fat of the land. Those are the people that have it all. But it's really intriguing because as he preaches this, he also tells us a little bit more about those people who he calls the cows. Did you see it? It's a little bit silly when I look at the text, but he says uh, in chapter four, beginning of verse one, hear these words, you cows of Bashan, you who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, fetch me some drink. Amos starts his message off to the ladies of the north. He mocks them because they have everything they want they have their heaven on earth. And it catches a lot of people's attention here in chapter 4. I don't know of you, but probably you don't like to be called a cow. Especially a fattened cow. I mean, just think about it. He's grabbed their attention. And he says, you guys in Samaria, and, 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 and in a sense, it's an indictment on the husbands because they seem to be serving their wives as if they're the slaves. Go fetch me this. Get me this. Their lives are so wonderful. Or are they? So the opening passage is you, you get to see how the little gods that they prepare for. People are living, living it up. They're loving it. Uh, they have three churches where they can go worship. They worship in, uh, in Gilgal. They worship in Bathsheba. And they also mention, uh, if you look at the text there in chapter 4, he says they go to their places. Come to Bethel. Come to Gilgal. And in chapter 5, Bersheba. So they have their alternative worship sites, you see, because they have been preparing to meet their gods. When they come together, um, what do they do? In fact, if you look down at the passage, they they have this repetition every day. They have their investment. They're supposed to bring the tithe every three days. They sacrifice uh, quite often, but they have an interesting sacrifice. Did you notice? If you have your Bibles, I would like you to take notice of that. When they come in verse four to these false churches, they go through the motions just like they would in the true church down south. They offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, but in verse five, it's what's what's unique about their offerings. It includes leaven. In other words, it's not that special. They just bring the extra stuff. They go through the motions. Their religious ceremonies. They are not. Uh, they're not very legalistic, right? It doesn't matter if they mix it in a little bit with the way other people do things. And if you look a little bit more, you can say uh, they proclaim their free will offerings. In fact, they publish them. Now, what is Amos trying to tell us? He's talking about their pride. They go through all the motions. Their church services look so wonderful. It's so elaborate. It's so big. It's so grand. And everybody knows it's grand because they want to make sure you know. They are very religious. In fact, it says in the end of verse 5 this is really what you love. You love to be a part of something that's big, that's bold, that's lovely. You want to be in charge. You love it. You see, that's the, the, the things that they prepare themselves for. Now, the irony is, while they're going to these church services, while they're going through the emotions of, uh, emotions of religion, there's a few other things about them. And I, and I read it to you in the previous verses. They use the poor. They abuse those who can't pay. They, they, they want to be satisfied. They want their drink. They exchange the truth, uh, they exchange justice for convenience, and they cast down the righteous. Those passages, just give that list. The very people that worship like that at their other gods, they don't really have changed lives, but they do have comfortable lives. All their justice works out to their favor. And ironically, for a time period, did you notice how wonderful their life is? The Scripture says they had a great economy, the state of their northern kingdom at this era, they had bread to eat, rain for their crops. They had good yields of food. They, they were free of pestilences. They were not concerned about war. And they had freedom with sexual boundaries. No fear. If they wanted to exchange the normal use, they just did. There's a mention of Sodom and Gomorrah in here. Now, if you think about it, who wants to go to their church service? Everybody's going. Everybody's going. I mean, you're going to feel left out. I mean, if they took a poll in this day, I mean, and CNN had one, or even a real clear politics had one, everybody would be saying, it's a great place to go. It's cool. They have live effects. It's really neat. Do you understand what I'm getting at? This is the spirit of that age. They didn't deny church. They made their own little gods. And they devoted themselves to preparing to meet their little gods. And most of their gods served them rather than they serving God. Now, what did God think about that? He didn't like it at all. If you remember in chapter 5, verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your assemblies. Even though you offer me these burnt offerings, verse 22 of chapter 5, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals I will not look upon. And even when you sing and when you make your melody, I won't listen. (laughs) You can see it now, can't you? That's preparing to meet your own little gods of your own making. I told you there's two main points. I don't want to dwell on that point for too long because many of us already know how easy it is for us to go worship at that church. You know how easy it is? It's to stay home, it's just to go somewhere else, it's to be able to justify so many other things. The answer, the antidote to this is what he says in verse eight of chapter through of chapter four. He says, because God is doing these things, he's going to do them. He says, prepare to what? Meet your God. In other words, you don't really know God. But he's the God of Israel. He's the God of this earth. And he says, prepare to meet that God. And that's the second point. Let me show you some things about that God. I want you to be able to marvel at it. Because he's so much bigger and greater than the church services and the plush events that have been publicized. If you look at the text, you're going to find at the end of chapter 4 how it explains what's going on. This God is a great God. In For behold, um, and verse 12, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. And now he says, let me let me tell you about his majesty. And then I also want to tell you about his day and I want to tell you about his holiness. So that's what Amos is doing in the rest of his sermon. He's telling us about the true God. Now, the true God. uh, And let me read it for you in verse 13. For behold, this God. Form the mountains. He creates the wind. He declares to man what's in his thought. He makes the morning darkness and he treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, that's the God. This is who you need to meet. For the young people that just walked out, one of the definitions, we we always go through a few definitions. We ask them, what is the Bible? And the Bible is the revelation from God of himself. Revelation. Revelation. So the Bible is revelation. It's revealing from God. God's the author. But when I ask him what is worship, we try to boil it down to the simplest uh, terms. And the simplest terms that I've come up with is a worship is meeting with God. It's not a genre of music. It's a meeting with God. It's an encounter with God. It's being in God's presence. And when you react to God in His presence, that's worship. Sometimes you're going to fall on your knees. Sometimes you might dance before the Lord with all your might. Although, dancing's a little hard these days. When you you meet with God... And Amos says, be prepared to meet the true and the living God. So as I wrap up this point, this this thing, you're going to see that this God is not a blow off God. This is God that is not just saying, oh, well, nothing matters. He is greater than you have heard. He is creator of the solar system. He has planetary alignment. He maintains the rotation of the earth. He sustains the tides and the water cycles. He is prone to the destruction of what the earth considers strong. In other words, if you think you have a great defense, it can be eroded. You think you have a great barrier for the ocean, it can be knocked down overnight. He is aware also of sin. And verse 12, God knows it. We have a sovereign God. We have an omniscient God. We have an all powerful God, omnipotent. We have a wonderful God. Prepare to meet Him. Amos doesn't stop there. Amos tells us that this God has a day of the Lord, the the day that's going to come. He's going to hold people accountable, and you can see it at the end of chapter 5. And he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? This is verse 18. It's darkness, not light. If a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went out of a house and leaned on his hand against the wall and he was bitten by a serpent. He says, you think that you're going to find comfort if you go to the Lord the way you are? (laughs) He says, "Mm -mm. God is not a pushover because God is holy. And that's really the second point about our God. He is great and he is holy. And because he's holy, he loves righteousness. He calls it beautiful and he calls sin beautiful iniquity, and he has to hate it. So we already went through, and our God does not like religion. He wants a relationship. He's condemned all the churches that are manufacturing their own kind of little gods because they are breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So this God made everything, but this God can change things, and that's what Amos is saying. He is free to change things. He changes things up. So look at what God does. He says, you have houses, but you're not going to benefit from them because God's justice is going to change things. You have vineyards, but that wine will not be tasted by you. He says, you have afflicted the good people. You bullied them. Well, you're going to lose your land. You have taken bribes to, to sweeten your cash flow. And he says, you're going to end up with nothing. You refuse to really help those in need at the gate that you see. You pass by them when you are going to have a greater need and you're going to find no one to help you. He's going to cut off the bread. He's going to stop the rain. He's going to limit the harvest produce. He's not going to hold back the pestilences. He said, "It's just like in Egypt, I'm doing it again. He says, I'm going to pull back my grace and let war come upon you. Your conflicts are going to turn into battles and your men are going to die. It's going to be a sad day. And he's going to allow you to reap the consequences of your sexual licentiousness. There won't be satisfaction. Your marriage institutions are going to crumble. Your family is not going to be so strong. The income and the poverty, all those things that are linked to it, it's going to erode. In other words, the day that you're living it up with your own religion... Those days are coming to an end because God is holy. Now, to make that application and we have the Lord's table, I want to challenge you to prepare to come and dine with the Lord. How can that happen? He's a holy God and we're not. If you remember in the passage in chapter 5, three times it says, Seek the Lord and you shall live. Seek the Lord and you shall live. How do we seek the Lord? Well, you got to turn from your wicked ways. And the Lord's table tells us the two R words: to remember and to repent. And that is what I call upon all of God's people, all of you here today, is to remember and to repent. As we come to the Lord's table, we remember the Lord's death, as the text actually tells us. We look to the cross and we see it empty, just like the movie that's going to be shown, that is being shown. I'm going to take the youth group there tonight at six thirty. Risen. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Why? Because Jesus already paid it all. We remember that he took what he accomplished, what only he could do. God hates all of our phony religion, but God does not hate the atoning sacrifice. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, when the blood of Jesus is applied to our hearts, then we don't have religion anymore. We have a relationship. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There is no more ju- judgment that has to fall upon us. You see, the, the world is still in Romans chapter 1. They're leaning on their own understanding. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And God has given them up to unclean thoughts. They, they, they deny the Creator and they worship the creation. They heap to themselves their own little gods. But those of us who have seen the the cross, we understand what happened at Golgotha. We know that when the earth shook and when the temple veil was rent, we know that Jesus paid it all. And now we are no longer into religion. We're into a relationship with a Savior. Seek him. Seek him and live. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this message, I pray that we might see how wonderful God, a wonderful God you are, and how glorious a Savior. I thank you for the testimony that even Brother Ron Elkin gave as he's talking about taking the gospel of Jesus back to Israel so that the people that are immigrating there who don't know where to live are going to end up being on that property and hearing about Yeshua, about hearing about the one who changed religion into a relationship. Lord we thank you that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in Christ. Would not have to perish. As so many people in the northern kingdom did. But would have everlasting life. I thank you in Jesus name. Amen. The elders would come on forward. You'll know that when, when uh, this whole explanation. About, the, uh, about the, the judgment of God coming. The day of the Lord. It's interesting that the people of the north, they had a tough time believing it. And so when the judgment of God came upon them, you were going to find that uh, last week I said uh, from chapter 3, the shepherd was going to go and try to rescue what was left and it was going to be a lamb chop and a lamb's ear. There wasn't much left. The northern kingdom came under judgment. You see, because judgment has to come. But this table tells us that judgment doesn't come again. Where judgment has been, double jeopardy is the principle that God established. When Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, then they're paid, and you'll never have to pay them. I hold this Bible right here. A fellow named Earl Evans. There's not many people of here that knew him, except if you're sitting in this section. <laughs> we had a funeral. He was 93 years old. But what a neat testimony it was is that he knew Jesus. Back in 1974, even though he had been a good man, he was not a Christian man until Jesus saved him. What a testimony it is. When you come to this table before you today, this is not a Presbyterian table, this is not a um, a Catholic table, this is not any kind of denominational thing. This is the Lord's table. This is for all of God's children. But what makes you a child of God? It's not by lineage, it's by forgiveness. Have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? Let's set apart these common elements. Dear Lord Jesus, we take this bread and this juice that is before us, and we pray that you will set it, a point, I've set it apart to sanctify it so that it might minister to those in this room, that it might nourish the saints, that it might not be taken unworthily by those who are not saints. For in doing so, they eat and drink damnation to themselves. Because they have not met the true God. Oh Lord, I pray that you will prepare our hearts even now. In Jesus' name.